Hi, welcome to Cauldron Conversations. I'm Kimberly. And I'm Sophie. And we are glad you joined us today. We are going to talk about magical tools today. And there are so many. We're not going to cover them all, but we're going to cover the basics. And we hope you'll enjoy it. And we hope you'll learn something about all the wonderful tools out there you can use in witchcraft. While there are many things that you will use in your magic and in spellcasting, there are some things that are considered basic tools for witches. You don't have to have them all. You don't even have to have any of them. You don't have to use any of them if you don't want to. It's all up to you. And remember, the first rule in witchcraft is there are no rules. That's right. So these tools that we're going to talk about, some of them are also considered altar tools. Some of them are not. We're not going to really get into that today. We will cover altar tools and altar setup and placement in a later episode. So I think we've mentioned this, but remember that you yourself, you are your most important magical tool. The magical practitioner is the strongest magical tool in their arsenal. So basically, you don't have to have any other tools to do magic. It's all about you and setting your intent and manifesting the reality you want. That's what magic's all about. But tools are fun to use and fun to have. They just, they help enhance your magic. They help you direct your intent and your focus because it's, it's your intention and the energies that you direct that determine the result of your magical workings. And that's important for you to remember. It, it's all about you and your focus. And I find that sometimes I use the tools, sometimes I don't. But I do find that having that candle burning or having that crystal out on my altar or whatever helps me maintain that focus when I am working on something, when I am working on manifesting something or trying to bring something into my life or push something out of my life. It's nice to have that focal point. So because, you know, as I mentioned, you are your most important magical tool, it's important to remember that it's not necessary to purchase any tools to be a witch or practice witchcraft. Do not feel like you have to go out there and spend a bunch of money because you don't. Something to keep in mind, though, is even when you do purchase tools for practicing witchcraft, you don't have to buy the most expensive or the fanciest items you find unless you just simply want to and feel like you can afford to do so. Flea markets, antique stores, thrift shops are all great places to buy some of these things. You might even be fortunate enough to have your grandmother's cauldron or your mom's favorite broom or whatever. And, and that's always kind of neat, too, to be able to bring in those things that have a history for us if we're able to. For magical tools that are antiques or items that you may have purchased in an antique shop or a secondhand store, do keep in mind that those are tools that have been used before. So you want to be sure to cleanse them to get rid of any lingering energies from their previous owner or owners. You want your tools to have a fresh start with you, free of anyone else's energies, especially because unless you knew the owner, their energy might not be the kind you want to have in your home or in your magic. Likewise, you might have known the owner of that, that tool, that item, and not want that energy in your magic because let's face it, even, you know, even grandpa might not have been a nice guy and we might not want his energy in our stuff. <laughs> exactly. And really, it's a good practice to cleanse any new-to-you tool. Even if you purchase a tool new, you never know who it's been in contact with, who's picked it up in the shop, who touched it during shipping. That's true. 
That's true. You really don't know. And again, you're, you're not going to want those other energies. You just want your own energy and the tools that you use for magic. And a really good example of that is, as you know, I have a bunch of different cauldrons and they've come from different places. Several of them have been bought at flea markets. In fact, there was one year my husband and I were at a big flea market and it was like cauldron day at the flea market or something. <laughs> I, I love it. I've never seen so many cauldrons at a flea market before. They just were everywhere. In fact, I even texted a few of my friends and said, hey, you know, there's a really good price on this cauldron. You want me to pick it up for you? Because I knew some people who were looking for a different size or another cauldron or whatever. And I was one of those people. You were. You were. And so my husband wasn't real happy because we were calling all these cast iron cauldrons out of this flea market. And as you know, those things can get a little heavy because they are made of cast iron. Um, but at least we didn't buy a huge one. But because I didn't know where they had come from, they have had may have had many owners. So I definitely cleansed those cleared their energy when I got them home before I used them. And the ones that I got for others, like you, I'm sure you did the same thing. Exactly. And then I have a really big one on my hearth that was actually a gift from someone. But again, you know, it was was old. And I don't know who has used it before in the past. And so I definitely cleared the energy of that one, too, before I put it on my hearth. So, yeah, definitely got to do that. And cauldrons are such wonderful magical tools. They are. Cauldrons and brooms are probably the most commonly associated with witches. Cauldrons are one of the oldest items associated with witches. They date back to at least as far as the Bronze Age when they were used as cooking vessels. Traditionally, cauldrons have three legs. To some witches, these represent mind, body, and spirit. The three legs are also a sign of balance, which is important in both magic and in our daily lives. Throughout history, women have often been the ones who cooked and prepared herbal remedies and often in cauldrons. So cauldrons provide us with a connection to our female ancestors and to the witches who have gone before us. I think that's kind of special. I and I don't know. I've, I love cauldrons. That's why I have so many of them. Me too. And I, I never really thought about it, but maybe that's part of it. Maybe I feel that connection to the women and the witches who have gone before me. That lineage. Cauldrons. Right. Yeah. And like you said, the wonderful thing about cauldrons is they come in all sizes. Very small cauldrons are a great size for burning incense. I know I use them for that. And the huge cauldrons are still used by some people to make large batches of things like Brunswick stew and apple butter. Mm. For those of you who are unfamiliar with these things, Brunswick stew is a thick stew with meat and vegetables that hails from the southern U.S. Apple butter was likely brought to the U.S. by early settlers from Germany and Belgium. It's like a very thick applesauce that has been cooked much longer until the apples are kind of caramelized. It's dark and thicker than applesauce. It has spices such as cinnamon and cloves that are added to it. And you know, even cooking can have a magical quality to it. Oh, yes. I mean, when I'm cooking something, I always feel like I'm, I'm pouring my love into it because I love to cook for other people. I, I call it one of my love gifts because that's just what I like to do. But you and I both have a friend. I remember her telling us a story about the church that her mother and family had been real active in every fall they did they they did a big fundraiser where they made and sold Brunswick stew 
and you know they used the great big huge black cauldron and she got a kick out of it she was helping make it so they're out there during the night and the cauldron is where they have it set up is right next to the cemetery and I remember her talking about just how magical that felt to be out there stirring a cauldron in the middle of the night in the edge of a cemetery in the edge of a graveyard and I thought well what a neat story that was and then you know of course we use them for magic and uh, I remember a spell that I did and I needed some I needed to burn something and so you came over Sophie and helped me well I don't know that you helped me you came for moral support it was the spell I needed to do was a hard spell for me to do on an emotional level it was and so I needed that support that you gave me and I am forever grateful for that but it worked out beautifully because I took a cauldron outside put in what I needed to burn and it was totally unplanned but I ended up having all of the elements in that spell because of course there's there's the fire and there's the air blowing and there's there's earth there because the cauldron is made from iron that comes from the earth and I was using a wooden stick you know to, to stir what I had in there burning but it had snowed recently there was snow on the ground and I just, for some reason, had this thought in my head to add snow, throw in a little snow. So I reached down, scooped up a little snow that is from water and tossed it in there. And so the cauldron contained all that so well and felt so magical. And then I had that moment where doing it outside, I was able to pull in all those elements and it just, it was really neat. And it also ended up being far more successful than I could ever have imagined. Not that I really had reservations doing it, but I, I can look back. That was a number of years ago, and I can look back and go, wow, that spell really worked. <laughs> really, really worked. That was a magical moment that day. It was. And thank you again so very much for ah, being there for me. Anytime. I'm your girl. There are many magical uses for cauldrons. You may put water in it and use it for scrying, or you can burn incense in a small one. You can destroy the remains of a spell by burning them in a cauldron. It's great to make black salt in because iron scrapings are often ingredients in black salt. The elements associated for cauldrons are water and fire. Fire because it is traditionally used for cooking over fire and also because it was forged in fire. Water because of the womb association and it's a vessel for water, cooking and things of such. And, you know, like I mentioned before, when I was talking about that spell we did, and I said that the iron kind of brought in the earth element, we generally don't associate a cauldron with earth. But I would argue in situations like that, you can because it is made from iron. Absolutely. It is made from a natural material that is mined from the earth. Mm-hmm. Well, as you mentioned, brooms and cauldrons are probably the things most associated with witches. And that brings us to brooms, which may be the thing most associated with witches because of pop culture images of witches riding around on broomsticks. Brooms are also called besoms. And uh, we can often see pictures of witches with brooms, and that dates back actually to the 1400s. The earliest known image of witches on brooms dates to 1451, when an illustration of a witch flying on a broom appeared in French poet Martin Lefranc's Le Champion de Dame. I am hoping that I'm not butchering that, but French is not my language. And so 
if I have mispronounced anything, I do apologize. But the translation for that, the name of that poem is The Defender of Ladies, which I think is, is kind of neat. In Old English, brooms were called besoms. And they used that word into the 1800s, and they are still called besoms by some pagans today. Brooms were traditionally used to sweep evil from one's path. A broom is an indispensable tool for clearing energy from a space. You can also prop the broom brushy side up beside a door for protection. There is an old saying that when a broom falls, company's coming. And I do have, um, have, have a broom by, by at least one of my doors, upside down, brushy side up. In fact, it, it's a broom. Um, I have several. But that one in particular is one that I bought at a Renaissance festival. There was a wonderful booth there, somebody making these gorgeous brooms with these carved handles. The bristles were different colors. They had all these different designs. So you can find some really beautiful brooms out there if you want one. They can almost be like a decoration in your home. Whichever way you have your broom, whether handle up or bristle up, it is said that if you have company or visitors that you want to leave, if you turn the broom the opposite way or reverse the broom, they will leave. I've done that. Did it work? Yes, it did. Awesome. Awesome. I love it. Some witches keep their magical broom separate from their household broom. One broom for literally sweeping their home and one for magical purposes. Having two isn't always practical. It's okay for them to be one and the same. It's hard to imagine that women in centuries past, witches of old, when brooms had to be made by hand, would have two separate brooms, one for magic and one for household chores. And so then there's the question of synthetic or natural. So, Sophie, what, how do you feel about the difference about using synthetic brooms for magic or for sweeping your floor, whatever? What, what are your thoughts? For day-to-day sweeping the floor, the synthetic's okay. Um, it's, and also in magic, I guess it's the intention that matters. If you're on a budget, you make do with what you have. For me, synthetic doesn't have that connection to nature that I prefer. Um, before using a synthetic besom, if I didn't have one and wanted one, I would go outside, gather some twigs or some branches, put a string or rope around them, and there you go. You've got a besom. I think it would get the job done. That's wonderful. Personally, I would use natural or just not at all. I would find another tool or source for a workaround. What are your thoughts against synthetic versus natural? Well, I agree what you said about the connection to nature, to the earth. A broom made of natural materials gives us that, whereas a synthetic broom does not. But like we've said, you don't have to go out and buy anything. You don't have to spend extra money. And sometimes natural brooms are harder to find or more expensive. You can walk into just about any store that sells brooms and find one that's synthetic. So from a practical purpose, if that's what you need to have, it's fine. Because like you said, it all goes back to your intention, and you can direct that intention with a synthetic broom. But for me personally, I do prefer the natural fiber. I I, I do like that connection, that that earth connection going on there. But, you know, you're using it to clear energy. That broom still serves as a conduit for your intention, regardless of what it's made out of. You don't ever have to not, don't ever feel like you shouldn't do something because you don't have the right materials. Exactly. Do it with whatever you've got. You know, if you believe it's going to work, it is going to work. And there there are some very lovely brooms out there, and there's some very plain, simple ones, and they all will work. 
And something I have done before, and sometimes this comes back to purpose, and sometimes I do things on the spur of the moment. You know, I grow lots of plants and herbs in my yard, and I have a big rosemary bush. Rosemary is very protective. Yes. And I had some energy in my house that I really, really didn't like and wanted to get rid of. So I went out and cut some rosemary stems, tied a little string around them, and used that as my besom. There you go. And that, I feel like, added that extra oomph from the rosemary. Mm-hmm. So, and you talked about grabbing twigs and things from outside and tying them together. So depending on your purpose, you can do that. Take a walk in the woods, see what you can find. Make your own. Put your energy into it. Absolutely. And the elemental association for the broom, the besom, is air. And now let's talk about athames. I love my athame. The term athame derives from the late Latin artifice, quill knife which is well attested to the oldest manuscripts of the Key of Solomon. It means sacred knife in the Morse tradition. It's a ceremonial double-edged knife which can be made of metal, wood, or stone. It doesn't have to have an actual edge that can cut. It is traditionally used for directing energy and cutting energetic cords, not for physical cutting, Athames have many uses. You can use an athame to draw energy into your work and to direct energy towards something. You can use your athame to cast ritual circles and then to recall or open the circle. You can use it to open a door in an energetic circle. You can also use your athame to consecrate water, salt, food, and drink. It can be used to cleanse space. You can put some water in your chalice or cauldron and then add a little salt, stir it with your athame, and then use your athame to flick water around the space you're cleansing. A plain athame is just as effective as a fancy one. The one I use is sharp, and because it's a doubled-edged sharp instrument, a lot of times I'll use it in meditation as a tool of discernment. That's a really good idea. And... Also, I think this is a good time to mention that because an athame has a double edge, it also serves to remind us that what can heal can also harm. And that is something we need to always keep in mind with our magic. Yes, it is. And the elements associated with the athame are fire and air. And that brings us to chalice. Chalices don't have to be fancy, but they can really be beautiful. There, there are some out there I've seen that are just absolutely gorgeous. If you've ever been in, like, Catholic churches, for example, and seen some of the really fancy chalices they use for communion, they're just, they're just gorgeous. It doesn't have to be an actual chalice if you don't have one. You can use a wine glass or a glass or any kind of cup that you have. Again, going back to... You don't have to go out and spend money and buy special things. If you don't have them, use what you've got. You can even use a small bowl. I think that would work fine as a chalice for for what you're using your chalice for. It just needs to be a vessel of some kind. It needs to be round and hold liquid. But by the same token, you can get fancy if you want. I've seen some really pretty chalices in secondhand stores, you know, thrift stores. I've pulled a wine glass out of my cabinet and used it before. Um, and, I, and I think you mentioned, Sophie, that some witches will change chalices according to the season. 
or the purpose of their ritual or ceremony. And I think that's really neat. I, I can I can see doing that. I think that would be nice to have have different ones for the seasons, perhaps. I think it'd be fun. Traditionally, in magical workings, they're used for ceremonial drink, to offer libations to deities you might be working with, to share libations with members of your coven or circle, the people that you are working with. Do keep in mind that if you're using a metal chalice, don't just get a decorative one. Make sure the metal is coated and safe for food before you drink from it. A chalice can also be used to hold water to which you add salt for cleansing an area, whether you're dipping your athame into it to flick the salt water or just using your fingers, dipping your fingers into it and flicking. And the elemental association with a chalice is water. And now let's talk about wands. Yes, we, we have to talk about wands. Wands are used by sorcerers, witches, wizards, and fairy godmothers in literature, movies, and video games. The word wand simply means a rod. Size doesn't matter. It can be a small wand you hold in your hand, or it can be as large as a walking stick. According to Irish legends, druids used wands to conjure fog, turn people into pigs, find lost items, and to use in divination to see the future. I think that'd be cool to be able to conjure up fog. I think so, too. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know about, you know, turning people into pigs. You know, that could be a useful thing. Um, but, but... I'd like to see it. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. But anyway, I just think it's cool that, that druids did those things. Wands are most commonly made of wood. They can also be made of metal. Today, crystal wands have become popular, too. Wands can also be made of other things, too. I actually have a wand that is made of a copper tube that is filled with hurricane sand. So that copper is a great conductor. And then somebody went out on the beach after a big hurricane hit and took sand that had absorbed that hurricane energy and put into that copper wand. And the power in that thing is amazing. You can just feel the energy when you hold it in your hand. And it was a gift to me. And the person who gave it to me said that they couldn't handle it, that the energy in it was too strong and actually gave them a headache. And, of course, I'm a water sign, so I love that storm energy. And it just so it just felt wonderful to me. I was just, like, holding it in my hand going, oh, yes, this is just fabulous. You know, I'm, I'm the idiot who would... I don't. I can't say that I'd walk out into a hurricane, but I walk out into thunderstorms because I just love that energy. But but anyway, yes, didn't mean to digress there. But wands can be made of lots of materials. Yes, they can, and that wand has fabulous energy. If using crystal wands, you can actually choose a crystal that is suited for your magical intention. Wands are used to direct energy or a witch's intent, their will, into the physical world. When buying a wand, feel the energy of the wand. See how it feels in your hand, how it resonates with you. Pay attention to the wood it's made of and look up the magical associations of the tree. You can make your own wand from a branch. Some witches prefer to use branches that have fallen to the ground, perhaps from a storm. And you know, some people believe that fallen branches are actually gifts from the universe or even from the tree itself. You can also cut a branch from a tree to make your wand. Select the tree from which you would like to make your wand, and this is important. Sit under it, lean against it, 
or touch the trunk of the tree with your hands. Meditate and see what you can learn about the tree. Ask it about its magic. If you decide you want to use a branch from that tree, ask the tree for permission before cutting the branch. You can tell the tree why you want to make a wand from its wood. Listen. Feel for the answer from the tree. And the trees do speak to us. We just have to listen. Yes, they do. And you can also buy wood from a home improvement store and make your own wand. That's true. I keep talking to him. I've been talking to my husband for years about making wands. He has a lathe. We keep talking about it. Haven't done it yet, but maybe someday that'll be a retirement project. We'll make wands. Spencer has lots of sticks around the house that are potential wands. There you go. But they've been there for a while. (laughs) (laughs) The elemental association for the wand is air. Well, and speaking of tools associated with air, let's talk about incense burners. They're always handy to have if you like to burn incense. And there's several different ways you can burn incense, several different types of incense burners. And the first one we're going to talk about is a sensor or a thurible. Those are very good for incense cones. And they are the ones that you see in, in images from churches, that the beautiful little metal thing on a chain that somebody is swinging around and, and spreading the incense through the air. And to me, they are so mystical and magical. But then again, I love incense burners. You do have a thing for them. <laughs> I do. My first incense burner was given to me by my sister when I was eight. Wow. And I do have many, probably more than I should since Spencer and incense don't get along. Oh. Yeah. I use them outside or on the screened-in porch, but he will sometimes go out onto the screened-in porch because he loves watching the backflow burner. Oh, backflow burners are beautiful. They, they are becoming real popular now, and they come in lots of designs. I've seen some that the incense comes down like a waterfall. Um, they're just, they are. They're, they're gorgeous incense burners. And so I'm, I'm glad whoever came up with that idea. Just keep in mind, if you want to use a backflow incense burner, it is a special cone that you have to use. Yes. Otherwise, it's just going to burn like regular incense, and the smoke is just going to go up into the air rather than follow the path of, of the... The cone has a little hole in the bottom of it that you have to match with the hole on the top of the incense burner. and that's how it pulls down. So just keep that in mind if you do purchase a a backflow incense burner that you have to use the right cones for that. You can also make your own incense, a loose incense, a blend of whatever herbs and spices, and burn it on charcoal tabs. If you've never used a charcoal tab before, it's kind of like lighting charcoal for your grill. You, You get these little charcoal discs. They come in packs of about 10, and you light it and let it turn that grayish white color just like the charcoal for your grill and then sprinkle your loose incense on it to burn. One thing I would recommend though is if you buy a pack of charcoal tabs keep them in a glass jar. A Ziploc bag will help but a glass jar seals it really well because once any once that pack is open and any kind of moisture hits those charcoal tabs they are much much harder to light. I learned that the hard way. And you might as well throw them out. Yep. So just make sure that you store them in something that will keep the moisture out. And also, be careful. It's charcoal. It gets really hot. You might use your kitchen tongs, Mm -hmm. or you might get the little tongs that are sold just to use with them. 
just for safety purposes. Yes, I, I use the tongs. You definitely do not want to hold it in your fingers while you're trying to light it. I hold mine with the little tiny tongs and get an edge going and set it down in my little mini cauldron and scoot it around and then grab the other edge, you know, so I can light it on, on several several parts of the circle. But they, they do work well once they get burning. Like you said, they burn hot. They will sometimes, because they do burn so hot, burn up your incense quickly. So maybe keep your little bowl of incense handy so you can throw another pinch onto the tab as you need to. And then there's stick incense. That's super popular. We see that in lots of stores. And there are all kinds of holders for, for stick incense. Some sensors actually have a little hole in the top. When you put the lid on, they have a little hole that you can stand an incense stick in. You can also stand the stick up in a bowl of sand or a, a pot of dirt, you know, anything that, that will help you keep that stick upright. And then there's all of these lovely little trays that have the little bend on the end that you put the incense sticks in. So there are lots of, of different tools for burning incense. There will be times that you want to burn incense for spells or meditation. It doesn't have to be for magical purposes. You can burn incense for stress relief or for calming energy when you're working remotely from home and are just having a really bad work day. That's one nice thing if you're lucky to work remotely. They're probably not going to appreciate you burning incense in the office, but you can certainly burn it at home. Sometimes we just want a nice fragrance in the house. You can burn incense to raise energy for spells. It's good for use in ritual work, to purify sacred space, to create a desired atmosphere. You can use it in your spells and let the smoke carry your prayers or your intention to spirit or out into the universe. There are just so many things, so many things you can do with incense. Find fragrances you like, but be aware of the quality. Make sure that you're buying good quality incense because if it has ingredients that are impure, you don't know what you might be breathing in, and it can also leave unpleasant smells when it finishes burning at the end if it has some of these, you know, um, poor quality ingredients or ingredients that you wouldn't want to be breathing or smelling. You also want to research the ingredients if you're going to use it for magic so you can find out the magical properties of the things that are in the incense. That's just a good thing to keep in mind. Pair the incense with your intention, with your intended work. And as I mentioned before, the elemental association for incense, for the incense burner, is air. And another air tool are bells. Bells are associated with the divine and have been around for a very long time. Wind chimes let us know when the wind is blowing, and I love wind chimes. Oh, me too. Doorbells let us know when someone has arrived at our home. Bell chimes on clocks let us know when the hour is changing. A ringing bell also creates a change in the surrounding area. And don't you keep bells on some of the doors in your house? All of the entrance doors. That's really cool. I, I know I, I know. coming in your back door, I've heard, I've heard the bells ring. Is it like a hanging on the doorknob or is it a... It is. Okay. It's, you'll see them sometime at Christmas. They'll have the circle that hangs over the doorknob oh, yeah. and then the bells hang on cords at different okay. levels. Cool. That's a, that's a really neat idea. They cleanse the energy in a space. The sound of the bell can help us focus for meditation. It can banish evil spirits. They can be used to invoke deity or the elements. They can be simple or fancy, elaborate as you want them to be. They come in many different tones. Find the ones that resonate with you. 
that have a pleasing sound, something that makes you happy. And of course, the elemental association, as we said, it's air. I'm an air sign. (laughs) (laughs) Another thing that we can use like bells are tinctures. They are a great substitute for a bell. They are small symbols that have been traditionally used in prayer and rituals by Tibetan Buddhist practitioners. They're basically two, two symbols that are joined together by a leather strap or a chain. And when they are struck together, they produce a clear, sometimes high-pitched tone, but they, like, like bells, you can get them with different tones. One thing about them is they create a long ringing tone or sound. So after you clap them together, that sound lasts, I think, longer than the tone of a bell when you, when you ring a bell. And they, they are really, they're pretty. They um, have different designs in them. And I have a lovely set that I use a lot in clearing, clearing space, clearing energy that were actually given to me years ago by a Presbyterian minister. So I always love that because we often make assumptions about people on other faith paths, or we tend to paint people with the same brush. And she knew my path and um, gave those to me as a gift because she thought they would fit into my path well. And they really do. And, um, and I treasure them all the more because they were a gift from her. And that's a wonderful example of people respecting people. Yes. And their faiths. And, and respecting their, their faith path and their beliefs. Absolutely. There are many things you can use as magical tools, such as shells and feathers. We will talk about these and other things we use in magic as time goes on. Yes, we will. So we've really enjoyed talking about magical tools today, and we hope you have picked up some some pointers and some information, maybe learned some things you didn't know, um, giving you some ideas about things that you want to start using. You can also find information on consecrating your magical tools on our Facebook page. It's a very simple thing to do. It's basically blessing these tools for your purpose, for your magical work. So keep that in mind and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And we look forward to meeting with you next time. Join us for our next episode. We'll be talking about creating sacred space, casting circles, and hallowing the compass. Lots of cool stuff. Thanks again for listening to Cauldron Conversations. I'm Kimberly. And I'm Sophie. And we'll catch you next time. Take care.